0: Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. President Harry S. Truman's desk famously displayed a sign that read, the buck stops here. It was a reminder that the ultimate decision-making authority rested in his office. That same message applies to healthcare boards of directors. From selection of C-suite personnel. To establishing an entity's strategic plan, the Board of Directors runs the show. Today, we will examine how individuals can position themselves to be selected to serve on a Board of Directors. Next, we will focus upon the right questions to ask before agreeing to a seat on a board. Finally, we will discuss strategies to become an effective member of the Board of Directors. We're fortunate to have Sarah Larch as our guide to the boardroom. This is an important topic, so let's begin. Sarah Larch is a healthcare executive and consultant, which is a nationally recognized expert on physician governance. Ms. Larch has vast expertise in healthcare administration. From serving as a practice administrator to being a Consulting Managing Director of Life Science and Healthcare at Deloitte. Ms. Larch has been there and done it. It is my pleasure to welcome Sarah Larch to Sound Practice. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. So this is a podcast of the American Association for Physician Leadership, and the AAPL often receives questions from individuals desiring appointment to be a a member of a board of directors. It strikes me that the best way to address questions uh, in this vein is from the point of view of the board. What are boards of directors looking for in prospective directors?
1: Well, it does depend on the specific board, and it does depend on what kind of board. But let's assume for a few minutes and, that we're going to talk about a healthcare board um, and that it's not-for-profit, And I'll, but I'll come back as, as we have a conversation and give you examples from advisory boards or public and private or private equity boards too, because in some areas, those things are very similar. um, And in some, they're very different. So I'll I'll mention that as we go. But as far as like, what are they looking for? um, Obviously an accomplished professional, they're going to look at your experiences. They're going to look at what Knowledge you have both financial and clinical and advisory. And in fact, you know, if physicians are coming on boards, they often look specifically to physicians to be the clinical quality expert, might even become an educator for the board. Um, But they're looking for someone who has experience thinking strategically, um, someone that um, can set their personal interests at the door when they come in, that they really are committed to the organization and the organization's mission. Um, And if it's a physician, I think it's really the reputation. Are you well-regarded by your peers? Certainly comes in. Um, Diversity is a big topic right now for boards. And I think that boards are looking for a mix of experiences and a mix of points of view. So right now, I think that women and people of color have more opportunities to be considered than maybe they have in the past. And that's a good thing. the other piece I think they look for is, are you really willing to do the work to be on the board? You know, you have to prepare, you have to be ready. Um, and then in some cases, I would last, the last thing I would mention is, uh, depending on the kind of board, um, there are some times where it's required that you're gonna be a fundraiser. You know, in the, kind of in a traditional classic board perspective, they talk about board members bring wealth, they bring work, and they bring wisdom. Um, and depending on what kind of your board, board you're considering, they may want all three of those. So um, we could talk more about that as we go.
0: Great. So you brought up some some good characteristics of things that boards would look for in prospective candidates. What type of activities specifically should individuals undertake to prepare to join a board of directors?
1: I think that finance is a big topic on boards. And not everybody, not, not all of us have been CFOs, let's be clear on that. And, and I have not, but you know, that hasn't um, hindered my ability to be on boards, but they want you to know how to read financial statements and understand the economics of healthcare if that's the industry that you're looking for a board position in. Um, so I think you wanna you know, prepare to make sure you're, under, you're comfortable in that finance world because you will get questions about that as you're considered. Um, Another opportunity is to reach out and meet with the CEO and or the board chair individually, kind of talk about what are their goals or what are are they looking for in a board member. Um, You can read their strategic plan. Almost all strategic plans are available on the web these days. I mean, I shouldn't say all, but let's say not-for-profit boards, the strategic plan is usually out there and who their main competitors are is something you can get smart about. Um, As far as preparing to to be considered, I would also emphasize uh, making sure that you have a social media presence. So my example or my advice would be that to make sure you're on LinkedIn, you you have a profile, that it talks about the kinds of experiences that you wanna highlight. Um, And um, to be thinking about a bio from your perspective that would orient you towards a board. Our classic resume or CV can tell a lot about what you've done, but sometimes a a little bit of a different version of that can kind of talk about your value. Um, I had the opportunity to attend uh, actually a board preparation course from, you know, different associations have courses and they have, you know, articles and things. I really encourage people to take advantage of that. I, I attended one of those and one of the most obvious things was this comment about LinkedIn or your resume, um, because you, you have to translate it kind of into the language of being on a board. You know, I know how to do these kinds of things, or you may be interested in a board that has a certain niche, you know, like I've served on a board for an animal shelter, which, you know, completely off topic from healthcare, but, you know, they wanted something different than what another board wants. And so depending on you know the board you're pursuing you may want to emphasize certain experiences or interests uh, in that so those
0: are some of the ways i'd prepare i think the social media comment is is very astute and, and interesting um, w- would it not also be advisable to follow the social media of the the organization that Absolutely. you're interested in Great point. Absolutely. I mean, just you know, learn everything you can about that
1: organization. Uh, talk to as many people as you can. I mean, networking is a powerful thing in all ways that we pursue our lives. So yes, social media of all kind would be
0: excellent. So, let's say that the strategy that you laid out is successful, and now you're considering whether or not to go on onto the board what are questions that a potential director should ask before he or she accepts a position on a board?
1: Yeah, I think this is a great question. Um, you know, sometimes we get so excited that we're asked on a board that we just say yes. You know, <laughs> So sometimes you need to stop and ask some questions. So I'll mention a couple, you know, some of these would be probably Really basic for any board conversation, but you might want to ask some of these early on. And then as they get more interested, you could probe into some more things. But clearly, you want to be asking about the strategic plan. You know, do you have one? I know that to some of us, that might be a surprise that not everybody has one, but that is true. Not everybody has one. Um, And if they don't have one, you want to find out if they plan on creating one, like in that year, you know. you do want to ask are there fundraising requirements as part of being on the board? You know, do they expect you to make to write a check? Do you, do they expect you to go find friends and help with fundraising? Um, how often does the board meet? You know, a lot of times it's monthly and quarterly, but then if you get asked to be on a committee, there'll be more of a commitment. So just to make sure that you're at the right point in your career that you can manage your time and and be available uh, as much as they require. Um, Another thing around risk for yourself is to realize because you do have a financial or a fiduciary responsibility being on a board, you need to ask them about DNO insurance or directors and officers insurance, which which I would say most have, but you would never want to go on a board if they didn't. Um, And so you wanna find out if they have it because it's gonna protect your personal liability. You know, if something happened, um, and in fact, on that point, one of the questions, I wouldn't lead with this, but maybe if it's getting serious, um, to see if the organization has any litigation pending. Um, you know, I I am on a board committee for my local community hospital right now, I'm not on the board, but on a board committee. That's a great way to get onto boards is to volunteer to help in different ways. Um, but I, felt I didn't ask that question initially in this process about litigation, good news was there's nothing pending right now, but they had a very, very big litigation about five years ago that I was unaware of because probably I should have not been aware of it. Okay. But I thought about how that would have impacted the board that year. That would have been a big deal. Um, And so you're going to ask about, you know, just seeing their financials. And then the other thing I would think about is um, just about the work of being on the board um, is do they have a board portal? Do they have an electronic way to deliver materials and things like that? Because more and more boards are doing that. But I think what it shows you is are they, do they operate efficiently? Are they tech savvy? You know, Who's this organization that you're gonna spend some time with? So I think that can
0: give you some hints about how they're doing. I think that that's a a great idea because it really gets to what type of infrastructure there is to support the board. Right. So I would not have thought of that. It's a great, great tip. (laughs) So what should go into a new board's members uh, orientation or, or education? Well, I think some of it would be like all
1: the questions we just talked about, those would all need to be answered, you'd want to be able to talk about those and answer your questions. I think that you should be prepared in an orientation that they're going to give you a lot of materials, hopefully in this board portal format. (laughs) You're not in the olden days, I even just even 10 or 20 years ago, you would get a big board book, you know, a big binder of things every time there was a meeting now to have it electronically is easier. Um, You're going to want, they're going to, they should be asking you to sign a conflict of interest form. They should ask you to sign a confidentiality form as well as the DNO insurance that we've already mentioned, but they all should like give you like a tour of their company and understand their facilities. Uh, Obviously they're going to give you the org chart and kind of the organizational overview. Um, And then I, I don't know if they do this all the time, but I would encourage you to get an introduction to the executive management. I mean, you're on the board and there's board duties and the executive ma- executives of that organization obviously manage the day-to-day business, but there is a relationship. And so having some insight into who those people are would most usually be part of an orientation.
0: Let's talk about those conflict of interest that you just um, raised that might have to sign a, a document on that. What are some potential conflicts of uh, interest for physicians that serve upon a hospital board of director and how can those conflicts be avoided?
1: I'm gonna say first that um, I don't think all conflicts can be avoided. Some just are, and it might not be the right match because of personal circumstances. I'll give you a couple examples here in a minute. But I think the most important thing about conflicts is to identify them early. Stop and think about if there are any, you wanna get all of that out before selection even gets close to happening? Um, So that's a great question because some some people might not stop to think they even have a conflict. Um, But basically what I think about for conflicts are financial. Usually that's where some of those things happen. Um, You know, if it's a not-for-profit organization, you know, the IRS has regulations about you have to have independent directors and they can only have financial transactions with you up to a certain dollar amount. I'm not gonna quote the certain dollar amount because those things can change. But um, so for instance, with physicians, good example. So usually um, physicians who are employed by a hospital or a healthcare organization are not on that board because they're employed. There's a financial relationship and it might get a little complicated. Now I would point out though that there are some hospital and healthcare systems that are comfortable with employed physicians especially like a leadership of the physician enterprise or the medical group as an ex officio or you know kind of like a community member where they'd be non-voting so it'd be more advisory role but you'd be at all the board uh, meetings and you might even be a representative role representing that medical group so you need to get understand that, okay? If you're a physician in the community, you're not employed by that entity, you're in a private group, um, you need to just think about, are there any business transactions? So one example I can bring up is, maybe, you, maybe you're, the, you're a female applicant and you're applying and you don't have any business transactions, but your husband happens to be a physician too, and he does call in the ED and gets X amount of money from the organization. That could be a conflict, okay? Um, or there's you're, you're in a private practice, there's two partners um, in the practice, you're gonna apply for the board position, but maybe your partner is chief of OBGYN at the hospital and gets a stipend. It may not be a lot of money or it may be a lot of money and that may be a conflict. So I, I would just, I would think about that Um, And then, you know, if you are also involved with a competitor, it's going to be another issue. So maybe you mostly do all your business at this hospital, but you're now taking call at the major competitor in town or even down the road a little bit. Everybody knows those things. (laughs) And so (laughs) it's going to come up. Um, And so just be thoughtful about that. And, you know, that's why sometimes physicians wait until, um they're a little bit further into their career um, because early in the career, sometimes you have relationships with a lot of different hospitals, a lot of different healthcare organizations. and and sometimes it's just a little too complex to sort out. Um, but just, I mean, most of these things are common sense things that would be conflicts. Um, and they should give you a form. That's what I'm used to where they ask you questions about potential conflicts. And you know as you go through that, you'll you'll identify them.
0: What about standard parameters for board size, time required um, for board members, numbers of committees to sit on? Yeah, can you set some expectations for us?
1: Yeah, I, I think the board size, you know, usually people talk about an eight to fifty Pardon me, eight to twelve member board. Um, I've seen them much bigger. Um, you know. Um, Because we were gonna talk today, I went to look to see what was the national average. Mm -hmm. And so they say an average corporate board has 9.2 members, which I did not know until I went to look that up. Um, But they also went on to say that it can be as small as 30 and as large as 31. So that sounds like all over the map to me. (laughs) Uh, But I I think that the eight to 12 is is a good range to consider. That's what it's gonna be. Though sometimes they have additional community members or advisors. Um, And sometimes they have ex-officio members. So sometimes it creeps up in the numbers. As far as time required, you know, you're going to have a monthly meeting and and or a quarterly meeting. You may have an annual retreat. Um, Now in this past year of doing lots of things on Zoom, it's actually not so difficult. But if you're sometimes the board you're going to, you may have to even fly to it, depending on what kind of board you're on. So you, you can consider meeting time, maybe travel time, certainly preparation time, and then committees. Um, I think a lot of board members end up being on at least one committee, and so then you kind of have a duplicate set of meetings and prep, you know, because you've got you know some pretty key uh, committees that require x number of people on them. So it, it's just you know it's not it's not too bad in a not-for-profit world. Um, as we talk, you know, if you think about um, public boards uh, where your time is um, bigger, much more um, call upon your participation and actually like having work in between meetings to do, um, those boards are more likely to um, pay you for your time and, and or consider, you know, stock options. That would be a usual thing in a public board Whereas for a not-for-profit board, that is usually not the case. You're usually not compensated, and so it's you know it's more about the mission and your passion for that organization and interest in helping.
0: Fair enough. So it's What's let's stick with compensation for just a moment. Do you believe that directors should be compensated for their service?
1: Well, from my perspective, I don't know that it. I. Personally, of course, if you're on a board, you'd love to be compensated. So that's just natural, right? But the point is that depending on the kind of board, there's really rules around these things and the board doesn't really get a lot of choice about some of these things. So, you know, like a not-for-profit board, like if you're looking at a hospital or health system or your specialty society as a physician or the association you belong to, they usually do not compensate. Um, They may pay your travel if the meeting is national they may uh, provide you a few other perks or about inviting you to things and including you in things um, as a board member, of course, as part of a leadership role, um, but you don't usually get actual compensation for a not-for-profit. For advisory boards, and this is an area where physicians, this is a great way to entree into very large organizations is physicians can be on clinical advisory boards, they can be on scientific advisory boards. You know Their credentials allow them to go into things that I would never be qualified for. Um, and so those roles, um, advisory boards can be attached to all kinds of different companies. So in some of those cases, there can be stipends or stock options, depending on who, what kind of company they're associated with. And they're looking, f- in that case, more for deep expertise in a certain topic, like around life sciences around a certain specialty. Um, so those kind of credentials make you eligible and you know, they're you know, looking for those people, right? Um, I mentioned public boards a little bit. I would mention um, they usually use a recruiter to for their whole applicant process, whereas your local hospital doesn't usually use a recruiter. They've got a process for identifying and inviting new board members. Um, there, as I mentioned, more time is required, but there usually is compensation. That's built into the whole, the company's governance process, it's you know budgeted that way. And you can make some serious money on public boards, um, but they're also harder to get on. And so sometimes if you're thinking about board service as a new thing, you might look at getting on uh, other kinds of boards before you get on a public board, because you'll look more attractive to a public board, be more competitive. On a private or a private equity board, it's kind of all over the map as far as compensation. Um, you've got, you know, think about them as kind of the same kind of schedule, quarterly meetings, monthly meetings, and things like that. But some of these, some of these entities are new companies, really new codes. They're, they're really needing you to have arms and legs in there helping them <laughs> figure out the business and your, you know, give your brain, your knowledge over to them. Um, What often will happen is there isn't any compensation, but if all goes well, then you end up being eligible for stock options later down the process. So as that company, you know, as private equity, especially in healthcare, there's a lot of private equity these days. Think about all the healthcare organizations out there that would be very interested in having physicians involved. So that would be something to look at. Um, Sometimes recruiters are used for those. Um, And then a lot of times it's relationships. So a thing I would mention here about just opportunities for the board is to realize that if you have friends that are on boards, they're a great source of referral to get on a board. So, you know, tell your friends, I'm interested in looking at board service. I'm, you know, I I have interest in these areas. Like right now I tell people I'm interested in all healthcare topics and I love dogs. (laughs) <laughs> and so just whatever your niche is it could be a sport it doesn't have to be your profession you have leadership opportunities to contribute in lots of different ways um so that's kind of the big picture on compensation i know i wasn't very specific but it it does vary very much by the
0: board well, very board in, to board in fairness it was not a specific question okay <laughs> uh, so let's say that we, we've, we've made it, we've been been selected, we've asked our questions and uh, we're pleased with the answer. And uh, now we are a newly minted um, member uh, of, of a board. Can you give me some tips for new directors on boards? What should a new director, what should he or she be doing to be a great member of that board?
1: Well, the first question that a lot of us need to hear including myself is we need to listen as a new board member, and learn the board, the board issues, the board culture, um, and and get smart. Read all the materials that you're sent. Stay current on your industry and future trends. They expect you to know everything. Like you're from healthcare, and you do. Like I come from the medical practice physician enterprise world. They do expect me to know everything about it like they'll there's a board meeting and yesterday in the newspaper there's something that they're going to expect me to know so you do you do feel like you want to be at your best and be prepared so i always think of it as am i prepared did i do my homework and read all my materials Am I current are, are there topics on there that i don't understand like for the local community hospital um finance committee that i just attended my first meeting um, there was a lot in there about the hospital's investments, their foundation and things like that, that I did not know that much about. So I needed to do a little bit more research. And I even called one of the um, finance team members um, in the hospital to kind of ask some questions ahead of time. Um, and, and, and they were delighted to, to get those questions. So be prepared. And then once you're on the board, create relationships with everybody on the board. You need to get to know each other. Um, you're gonna be you know, learning from each other and you kind of need to know who, everybody comes with their own expertise. Um, and you, and most people at the time they're getting on boards already have plenty of experience of, you know, working with people different than them and understanding how to hand, handle and facilitate conflict. And, you know, there's gonna be a board chair that's kind of handling those things. Um, but, the, you know, the, just like anything else we've all done is the more you know the people in the room, the better the interaction is and then even though i said listen at the beginning i think that new board members have a, a positive that they want to take advantage of too and that is to ask their questions sometimes new board members were brought on for a reason that they have a certain knowledge that somebody else doesn't have and so they want you to ask questions just you know, get, get yourself a you know attend a meeting or two before you become the only one speaking <laughs> so you can kind of learn what's going on Um, But, but, and also don't feel pushed to make a decision that you don't think you have enough data or understanding on let them know I really don't understand this I can we talk about this some more. Because the decisions you're making are deciding the strategies for this organization so you want to be thoughtful Um, and you can't possibly know every topic when you're new to the board, you just can't. So I, I would say those things would be the majority of the focus.
0: Well, great advice uh, from Sarah Larch. Thank you so much for being a guest on Sound Practice. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. I want to thank Sarah Larch for her insights. The importance of healthcare boards of directors cannot be overstated. It is my hope that Sarah Larch's advice will assist physicians wanting to serve on a board of directors and for those already holding the position of a director. I want to thank the American Association for Physician Leadership for making this podcast possible. Please join me next time on Sound Practice. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org right book